We're going to go to Psalm chapter 1. Very encouraged today. I'm glad to be back to, at the Grace Baptist Church of Sydney, Ohio. What a, what a privilege this is. I was thinking about how different the world is now than when, even when I was a kid. I don't have to go back to my grandfather's days. And I think about all the changes in the world since my grandfather was a 50-year-old man. Uh, I think about, we could talk the rest of the afternoon and just pick things that come to mind. For instance, uh, people's obsession with pets. How's that? That would be a good controversial way for me to offend half the crowd. Nothing wrong with pets. Glad you enjoy your dog. But I think about my grandfather who went through the Great Depression and eight kids. The idea of spending, you know, $500 at a... Where do you take a dog when they get sick? Yeah, the vet. I can't think. You know, the vet would be inconceivable to him. I, he just It would never have crossed his mind. And uh, cell phones. Right? The travel, how fast we're able to travel these days. And the world is changing rapidly. I can remember growing up, and uh, there was a popular television show called Soap. Who remembers that? Anybody remember that? Man, I mean, if that show is on for 10 seconds in my house, somebody's getting their head creased, right? <laughs> my dad was not going to have that, that garbage on in our house because it was the first show ever with a homosexual as a leading character. And then it was really, un, nobody said it. It was just assumed. And now they're on every show and it's promoted and everything's changing. The world is just, it seems like the world is going crazy. Now I'm going to test, it's just us tonight, Sunday night, laid back, right? I'm just going to testify a little bit. Nothing that I'm saying now is an opinion you have to share. And I'm not trying to stick my thumb in anybody's eye. But when we went through the whole COVID stuff, and with that came the uh, Trump derangement syndrome. I'm not promoting Donald Trump one way or the other. There's all kinds of issues there that I'm not qualified to settle, right? But it was a very frustrating time for me. Maybe not for you. It was for me. You have issues in the church, people dying, uh, a lot, of, a lot of crazy things. Antifa, Black Lives Matter, very tense stuff, right? Masks. I'd rather be beat on a regular basis than, I'd rather take a whipping once a week, a good, strong whipping, than wear a mask for 30 seconds. I, I just, it, just it, I'm not saying you should never, I, I'm not taking a position. I'm just telling you I hate them, right? I almost lost my mind through that, through that, that period of time. And I think about uh, the entertainment. I was thinking today about uh, years ago, way before it was sane to think this way. I remember going to my daughter's room, and we had all these posters up of Disney. And every other poster was witchcraft. It was kids' stuff. It was kids' movies and all movies that, you know, we've all corrupted ourselves watching. <laughs> And I remember we, we took all that down, and I kind of took one of those fighting fundy stands and got my four-year-old daughters, you know, what's wrong with Disney, you know, you know, throwing away princess dresses and all that weird stuff. And now they're every bit as corrupt as we thought they were. Worse, maybe. 
Can't turn on the ESPN without some kind of, I just lose my mind. If it's on for three minutes, I'm going to lose my mind about something. I'm all over the place, but I'm trying to describe a really crazy culture that we're living in. And to contrast that, I don't like turning, making enemies out of our mission field. I I don't like that. I'm not surprised when sinners are strange, right? I'm not, and I love them. And, and I love people. I love people that are different from me. I love people that I disagree with in, in some significant ways. So I'm not trying to advocate a pervasive anger. Not at all. I, I told my church family recently, I said, I don't think I have a, a really hot temper. I don't think I do. My wife may tell you different. But I am a little bit angry all the time. You know the difference, right? It's like this. There's a constant state of frustration. If you're watching the news at all, if you're looking at at social media at all, and very frustrating times that we're living in. Now, Paul told Timothy, he had had an admonition for the ladies and an admonition for the men. He, He says that the women are to adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. And so you sort of see a principle there that there's a challenge for the women to not draw inordinate attention to themselves, but to restrain that impulse, right? That's what modesty is. It's restraint. All right? Just just reel that in some. It's not all about you. And then the men, he says, I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And that's the challenge for the men, isn't it? You could ask my wife. I guarantee you she'd tell you I'm either in the clouds or under the house all the time. There's no middle ground for me. I'm very extreme. I'm either really mad about something or I'm so discouraged that I'm ready to withdraw from interacting with human beings. Does anybody relate to that? I mean, it's like it's like one or the other, wrath and doubting. And, and that's the battle. That's the temptation for the men. We're either saying, man, I tell you what, I'm ready to start a militia. I'm ready to, you know what I mean? I'm ready to run the flag up the pole, lock and load, you know, uh, doomsday prepping. I am ready. Five seconds later, I'm so depressed. You know what I mean? These are the 87 things that I've failed at in life. You know what I mean? My, my, my son, this is my son's response to me most of the time. What? That, that's his response. <laughs> what? All of that, let's keep all of that madness in mind. And let's look at our text because in our text, we have a contrast between the faithful man and the ungodly. You know this passage. I'm not going to try to tell you anything you you don't already know. I'm going to try to commiserate, right? And consider the truth that's there. Make some devotional observations. Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, 
but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. So you notice there's a contrast here between the the blessed man, the blessed man, and the ungodly. There's a contrast between the fruitful and the chaff, right? Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This suggests that there's coming a day when all this is going to get cleaned up. You see that? For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So let's talk about tonight how to be happy when the world is going crazy around us. And the difficulty is their crazy seeps into here. (laughs) And there is a way to fortify ourselves against the seepage of secular thought and carnal impulses and worldly ideology. There's a way to fortify ourselves against it, but it takes intentionality, I think, is the new buzzword. As we say in Alabama, you got to do it on purpose, right? Same thing. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we pray for help as we look into your word. I pray that it would encourage the church. It would be a blessing. I pray that you'll protect me from foolish things that I could just be a help. We ask for it in your name. Amen. I like this first word, blessed or blessed, is the way I've heard it my entire life. I've often wondered why, but I like the way it sounds, right? It's a good rhythm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And blessed, let's look at what it means. I bet you know, but let's, let's pretend we don't. And go to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 13. My little granddaughter's name is in this verse, so I, I like that. I care if, I, if I reference Leah in the scripture, she thinks I'm talking about her. Now look what it says. And Leah said, happy am I, for the daughters will call me what? Blessed. And commentators have observed through the years that the definition of the word blessed is truly happy. Fortunate. I like the word happy and I like the idea of being happy. I like the idea of Christian people expecting to be happy. Now, we've all heard the sermons. They're a bit strained, in my opinion, unless Brother Jim just did it. We, we've all heard the sermons that suggest that a deep-thinking, spiritually-minded Christian will have joy, but they won't be concerned about happiness because that's based upon happenings and the uncontrollable vicissitudes of life and no Christian should base his well-being on those things that are changing and it's really not important that you're happy. It's just important that you're faithful. Well, maybe we need that challenge occasionally to get ourselves out of the equation. I, I can live with that up to a point, but I'm going to tell you, friend, if you're never happy and you're a believer, that's an indication that something's wrong. Amen. All right? And it may not be a spiritual problem. It may be a physical problem. It may be a mental health problem that a lot more people struggle with and want to admit. And so, with respect, I say, go to the doctor, get healthy, eat right, 
exercise, but I'm not here to deal with that because I'm out of shape and unhealthy myself. What I'm saying is Christian people can be happy, and they should be, and we should be able to find a way to see ourselves in such a light contextually that we experience happiness. Your Bible says, happy is the man that findeth wisdom. That King James Bible says, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And it's a dreadful representation of Christianity as a whole to say, I'm a believer, but I'm filled with wrath and doubting. I didn't ask to be born in 1967. That's the way it happened. Do I think the world was better in 1867? There's no question there are ways in which it was better, but they didn't have air conditioners then. So I like this era better. (laughs) Do you all understand? This is where I'm at. This is where God put me. This is where I have to live, and I have to try to be faithful against the pressures that I'm facing today. We had a Bible college professor that said what the lions of Rome could not do to Christianity, materialism, has done. And so while the dying, suffering Waldensian will stand at the judgment seat and face a particular kind of divine assessment, if you will, you and I will face a different one. We face a different kind of adversity. We have to stand up against the uh, drag of modernity. We have to face the culture that we're living in with some kind of faithfulness And uh, that requires intentional thought and behavior. And our text tells us that a man can be blessed even though he's surrounded by people who are shaped and guided and, and directed by the counsel of the ungodly and the way of sinners and they're sitting in the seat of the scornful. They are ungodly. They are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. There's nothing fruitful about them, nothing profoundly meaningful. They are going through life without any kind of quality spiritually. They surround us everywhere, and we're in the midst of it. And the challenge is that we not be overwhelmed by it. Psalm 1 is a very popular psalm. You know it. I I bet most of you have memorized a good portion of it. And we quote it all of the time, and it is a proof text for certain kinds of personal separation, much of which is good, some of which is extreme. Meaning, we are living in a world where we will encounter the counsel of the ungodly. We're going to encounter it. We just have to not walk in it. Does that make sense? So that the idea is we're living in this world. We're affected by it. But there should be a way to live above it. To not only avoid the world's system and the world's approach and the world's philosophies, the world's way of seeing things. Not only avoid that, but we ought to be able to be happy in the process. If you're not careful, you'll think that We're living some kind of deprived existence as Christians. That we're just passing through, we're just hanging on, we're just pilgrims. You know what I mean? Tempted and tried. You know what I mean? We're just hanging on. I know there's truth to that when we're suffering, but you know what I'm talking about. Most of us really don't have a real reason 
to be as miserable as we are. I saw a deal this week about a guy who's been he's been in prison for twenty five plus years and he's innocent and he's been acquitted and they read the the judge reads the he gives his judgment and the, the place is going crazy and the guy practically swoons he's weeping and cheering and I thought to myself and I was trying I was trying to decide in that moment that day if I was going to be depressed or not okay this. You know what I mean? I was right on that line. I, this might be a bad day or it could be a, a better day. I don't know. I'm trying to decide. Depends a lot on Lisa's attitude. <laughs> Lisa and I, you always say the first thing every morning, it's a race to see who can say it first. One of us will say, what's your problem? That's good morning. <laughs> well, my thought on that, and I, and I just try to be silly. All over this room are people tonight, you're going to get done tonight, go back home, you're going to eat whatever you eat on a Sunday night, your favorite sandwich or some pizza or some leftovers from today or something that you're going to enjoy. You might put some burgers on the grill, you're going to watch some football tonight, you're going to go to bed and get up tomorrow and start your week. Now, I want you to tell me what's so bad about that. But if you're not careful, you will have yourself worked into a whole thing before the week starts. So, well, I've got a tough week. There's a lot of pressure on me, Pastor. Well, th- th- some people call that attempting to achieve things. If you want to be better and do better, there will be pressure. There will be restraints. There will be expectations. And you can face it with turmoil within. Or you can go at it happy, blessed, see? All right. I think we get the idea. So, The book of Psalms is divided in three parts, or excuse me, the Old Testament is divided in three parts, and you you know the verse, I'm sure, Luke 24, Jesus canonizes the Old Testament in verse 44 when he says, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So the book of Psalms is... The great mountain peak of the Old Testament pointing to a coming kingdom where all of these messianic expectations will be realized. Now, we know this not because we are over-applying our dispensational views. How many of you are with me? Dispensationalism, right division we call it, is very, in its most simplest sense, understanding that there's two groups of people in the scripture that are dressed, pre- addressed predominantly, and that's Israel and the church. Okay? And that's why you can read a passage in Isaiah about the last days for Israel, and it seems glorious, and all the nations are coming to that mountain of the Lord and worshiping Him in the last days. And then you read Paul, and he says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of, you see, and it's all negative. It's all downhill. It's getting, as we say down home, worser and worser. So that appears to be a contradiction. We know it's not a contradiction. One is addressing Israel in their last days, leading up to the Lord's return to this earth and the establishment of a prophesied Jewish messianic kingdom. Last days for the church are those days leading up to the rapture where the body of Christ will be caught up to be with the Lord. First Thessalonians 4 tells us. And those last days for us are different than the last days for Israel. And things that are different, not the same, correct? Yeah. 
So here we are in the book of Psalms, and we understand that much of this great book is not just devotional thoughts to be crocheted on a sofa cushion, if that's the right terminology, right? In other words, it's not all devotional fluff that'll look good on a refrigerator magnet. It's actual doctrinal material. It's very prophetic in its nature. And we know this, not again, not because we're over-applying our theological system, but because the book of Psalms is quoted repeatedly in the New Testament as a proof for what's coming. You see that in Acts 2, a good deal there. So we know that these are messianic Psalms in many cases and that they are prophecies about a coming kingdom. So Psalm 1 paints this prophetic picture, I believe, of the faithful remnant of Jews who will be sustained against the despotism of the Antichrist. And there's a picture here that we see repeatedly in the Word of God that likens Israel unto a a tree. And you can be a fruitful tree that will be sustained and produce fruit against the rebuff of the world system or the antichrist program you can be that tree or you can be a tree that is cursed it will die you're probably familiar with matthew 21's passage about the fig tree and matthew 21 and verse 17 says and he left them and went out of the city into bethany and he lodged there now in the morning as he returned into the city he hungered And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not go, ye shall not only do this which is come, excuse me, I can't read. If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Now, how many of you know that's one of those verses in the Gospels that is initially and usually taken out of context and used as as a type of a bludgeon to say, if you really could get your prayers answered, you could have mountains moved. Well, this is a very specific prophecy to the nation of Israel. This is the book of Matthew, which is the Jewish gospel. And Jesus is demonstrating Israel's determination to reject their prophesied king, their promised king, who's right in front of them. And Christ is demonstrating the fruitlessness of this rejection with this fig tree and the curse. In Israel, blindness in part we know now has happened unto Israel and Israel has been set aside and the church is not replacing Israel but is God's plan for the hour. And the day will come when Israel shall be restored. And we see this over and over and over. And that's what he's telling them. If you would believe what I'm telling you, you would see this. Does that make sense? Well, let's, let's look at something quickly. Look at Isaiah 54. Isaiah 
Isaiah 54 and verse 10. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from me, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. Now this is just one example of the times in Scripture where prophecy relating to that day has to do with mountains being removed, cataclysmic events on the earth, and trees being restored to fruitfulness. I don't know why this is ignored, right? But that's what happens when you want to make a sermon out of a passage rather than have the passage be the sermon. Now, let's go back to Psalm 1. Now, I say that to kind of try to prove a point. If we read Psalm 1 in its context and try to gain some understanding from the text, the way the psalmist intended for the Israelite to read it and understand it, we know that he's telling them that there's going to come a day when while all of the world is against them, all of the counsel, all of the wisdom, all of the ideology of the world will be against them. And against their fruitfulness, I'm going to bless those who are faithful. I'm going to bless those who delight themselves not in the world's program, but in the law of the Lord. We talked about the scripture this morning. That's how you follow God. Here it comes up again tonight. There must be delight in the Lord's law and in his way. Now, to delight in something is, again, it's intentional. This is not saying that, young people, this would be, maybe this will help. When I was your age, I was waiting for the delight to happen. I was thinking if I was a better Christian, I would be more interested in God's law than I am all these things that I'm about. And it made me feel less than. Does that make sense? And I would hear sermons that seemed to paint a picture of spirituality that was unattainable. It didn't seem natural. I couldn't find it within me. And then you come to realize that this is a challenge toward better things. You intentionally delight in the law of the Lord, right? Sort of like when a guy's out there dating and he's met some girls and he's got... This one kind of girl that seems to be fairly prolific. And then he meets the one that's special. He begins to intentionally delight in her. Right? He courts her. He, he, he tries to win her to his fabulosity. <laughs> right? The point is he's delighting himself. The Bible commands us, delight thyself in the Lord. See, that's something we're told to do. It's not an emotion that we wait for. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Another, you go to the gym, and you see all these dudes who have big arms and shoulders and chicken legs. They haven't delighted properly in leg day, right? You need to get those dudes in a squat rack. I was in the gym the other day, and I'm waiting for the squat rack while Biff does some curls in the squat rack. Yeah. And he's doing this. He's looking in the mirror, and I'm, I'm standing back here with a surly look on my face, an old dude look on my face, and he's doing this. 
I, there's a number of reasons why that irritated me, but yeah. You know what you have to do, guys. If you're into weight training and athletics and you want to be good at something, whatever it is that you don't want to do is probably what you need, right? I would like to, before I die, have a bigger bench press and not be weak. Probably won't happen. I would like to do it. So one of the things you have to do is dips for your body weight. You know what a dip is. You'd go all the way down and drive yourself back up, and man, is that painful all the way through the shoulders, but that's what builds a bench press, right? It doesn't matter how big your biceps are. That does nothing for your bench press. It's all that yoke back there, and it's painful. It makes you want to cry. So what you have to do is delight in that. Every time you go to the gym, go to that. Save your energy for that workout. Save your energy for the squat rack, for the hack squats, for the lunges, and then you'll turn into a man, right? <laughs> Delight in the law of the Lord and in his law should we meditate day and night. This is intentional. Israel is being told it may be tough now and it's going to get tougher, but God is going to bless and make happy those who refuse to be infected by the counsel of the ungodly, by the, they're not going to get caught up in the way of sinners. There should be a different way that people in here think and live. It doesn't come naturally. It requires delighting in the law of the Lord because it becomes irksome and exhausting. You always find something bad in the new thing we're interested in. But that's the way it goes. That's why the Bible tells us to prove all things. Hold fast that which is good and abstain from all appearance of evil. Let me tell you what that does not mean. That does not mean that somebody doesn't like your, you know, root beer bottle because it's dark. But, but how many of y'all understand that every dark bottle is not beer? Raise your hand if you understand that. What, what that passage means is if you're discerning, you're going to always have an emergence of things that are evil, things that are not good. It's going to come up over and over and over and over. And every time it does, we are to keep the good and abstain from every appearance of evil. Oh, there it is again. Amen. Yep, it's in this music again. It's in these shows again. It's in this literature again. Here it is. I'm not even suggesting that you never take in things that are contrary. I'm saying if you're going to see it and not allow it to change how you think, it's going to require a commitment, a delighting in the law of the Lord. Does, it, does that make sense? I'd love to isolate you guys where you never have to be tempted again, never have to face anything evil, never have to run into anything challenging, but that's not realistic. You guys will have to grow as human beings by delighting in the law of the Lord and trusting him to make you happy in the process. So just as Israel is going to face this in the most intensified possible way in the tribulation period. You know that, right? And by the way, that's the whole point of the ark, right? The Noah and the ark, that's not... It makes a good picture of salvation, but it's technically a type of the Jew. 
being sustained through the storm of tribulation. Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. There's your type of the rapture. Lot being snatched out of Sodom, right? That's a type of the carnal Christian going up in the rapture. Then comes the Jew, Israel, being kept, preserved through the tribulation until the Lord returns and establishes establishes his kingdom in the new and final day. Now, for us, we can find timeless truth in this. And we can say, much like the, the Jew in the tribulation period, we as believers in the church age are facing the adversity of a godless culture. And it is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Now, that doesn't mean the pendulum can't swing and we can't enjoy some happier days here in America again. I'm not trying to be all completely doomsday. But the Bible does say that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and and being deceived. And there's a reason why Jesus is our blessed hope. It doesn't say the political parties are blessed hope or getting everything organized and ushering in revival is the hope. It says Jesus is the blessed hope because it's going to be a mess until he comes back. All right. Wow. So here's the sermon. Here's the conclusion. <laughs> we have to try to be blessed. We have to be this faithful person in the passage awaiting the Lord's return. We, we have to take, we have to make the effort to keep our head about us, our wits about us, to gather wisdom, to see clearly through the lenses of scripture in a very tumultuous age and be happy representatives of his truth in this hour. A few quick thoughts there. One, I think it would help us if we had a healthy negativity. This is a very negative book. It's very negative. It has nothing good to say about man. Only what man can do with him and through it. Very, very negative book. It's very negative about the, the Bible says right here in the very next chapter, it says the kings have set themselves and the rulers have taken counsel together against the Lord. You believe in conspiracies? Oh, I believe that one. And it just so happens that the satanic conspiracy works itself out into human representation. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's very difficult, and a healthy negativity is good for a Christian. A fake, false, accommodating, superficial positivity has never helped anybody. I said a healthy negativity. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh what? Not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. I promise you, if you get exhausted with Pastor Jim's determination to be against a new thing every week, I guarantee you there are things he's not saying. You understand, the list is longer than what he's saying. It, it's nuts out there. And we need to get ourselves ready, strengthened, with, a, with the understanding that this world's no friend of grace. Amen. Right? When I say Disney's not on our side, I'm not saying don't go to Disney. That's y'all's business. I'm not, go to Disney. I'll take my grandkids to Disney tomorrow and say, look at all this satanic stuff. But this is an, 
This is an amazing roller coaster. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whoa, look at that hot dog. You know what I'm saying? So you can be awake and you can point these things out. You can see them for what they are. A healthy negativity. Number two, an intentional worldview, which we've already talked about. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. So you have to intentionally determine to get his law into your mind and heart to understand it so that it changes how you see the world you're living in. I don't think that should require us to be angry every time we go to Starbucks. You know what I'm saying? Or to throw things at the TV. I mean, the election season is going to be a madhouse. We've got to be happy, faithful Christians delighting in the law of the Lord. And we do that by a healthy negativity and we do it with an intentional worldview. We're going to have to take extra time to get his law into our hearts and to understand it. I would say number three in that line that uh, there's an expected result. You will experience some blessedness, some happiness. You'll you'll experience that. It will come. It will be the fruit of having delighted oneself in the law of the Lord. Now, if you go after happiness all the time, it's self-defeating. But if you seek to delight in the law of the Lord, then all of a sudden the blessings come, right? Still don't enjoy dips. Still have a nervous breakdown on squat day. But you string together, together six weeks of doing squats and all of a sudden you're stronger and your back doesn't hurt anymore and you've dropped some weight and you're lean. All of a sudden there's the fruit, right? It emerges. You, you, you see it. But it takes a while. It's a seasonal thing, right? He bringeth forth his fruit in his season. You have to invest and wait and be faithful and delight in his law and be faithful and believe what he said to be true and be faithful. And then one day you'll realize, Man, I'm pretty happy. This is all right. let's apply this and go home. So how would we do this? I would say take a radical approach to returning, or excuse me, retuning your mind and your heart. You're not going to do that watching Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or my main man, Alex Jones. (laughs) Brother Jones will not always help you feel good about things, all right? I'm not saying don't ever watch him. I'm saying don't let him control your spirit. Don't let those people control your ability to be happy. And maybe it's not for you. Delight yourself in the law of the Lord and you've got to take a radical approach to retuning your mind. And you guys are getting a new school year started. And you've already, you've, you're far enough away from camp and into school to turn into a complete heathen again. <laughs> You understand what I mean? In other words, you, 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 little by little, you get removed from the inspiration to do better and to be better. Right now would be a great time for every teen, for every parent, for every member here at Grace Baptist Church to take a radical approach to retuning your mind and heart. And I mean nothing does it like this. Nothing. I, great music can be a blessing. But that's most of the time fairly emotional. It might set the stage, but this is where the real meat's at, right here, right? Uh, talking to a good friend, getting some counsel, even hearing a sermon, all good stuff. 
But nothing replaces what happens when you read your Bible, try to understand it, and be shaped by it. That's my challenge. I would encourage you then to talk to God with these spiritual transformations in mind. The Bible says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. When we delight in his word, it changes what we pray for, doesn't it? It changes what we ask for. It changes what we long for. And then our prayers begin to grow. They begin to become more spiritual. All the things you're worried about, pray about them. All the things you're troubled by, pray about them. All the things that have you feeling and experiencing darkness. Attack it with the scripture and talk to God about it. And then I would, I would, I would, I would say, try this a few times a day. You know, as, as your schedule will let you do it. Uh, sometimes in the morning it's just going to be enough to get your day started. and Maybe somewhere in the middle of the day with a New Testament in the cab of the truck or, you know, or w- w- however your day goes, you can get some more time to read some scripture, to get the word of God in your heart, to think a little differently. You know what your problems are. If they're issues of your spirit and your interaction with people, find verses like a soft answer, turneth away wrath and, right, and do unto others, you'd have them do unto you. And a verse like given, it shall be given unto you, which we make about money, but the context is about how you treat people will affect how they treat you, right? Get all that stuff in your heart, your mind, and say, all right, the rest of the day, I'm going to get my head back on. And I'm going to love people. I'm going to try to be a blessing. And I'm going to serve people. And I'm going to be a good employee. And I know that God is on the throne. Right? And then at night, feast in the word, on the word of God. Take some time. Take 30 minutes. Take an hour. Spend time in his word. Now, I don't know any other recipe for faithful, predictable, genuine happiness for the Christian than that. Now, you can do that and still be unhappy, and that may mean that you, like we said earlier, you need to go to the doctor or you need to work on your health or maybe you have a family problem. It's not going to go away because you read the Bible, but it will help you to face it better, right? It'll help you to bear it with more wisdom, with more self-control. I married a woman from Michigan. I have to read a lot of scripture to get through the day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now, this is just light stuff. And I, that's all I'm trying to do is encourage you in, in a personal way. I know you. You know me. You got the greatest preacher in the world. What do I, I, I don't need to impress you with anything deep. But what difference does it make if you can rightly divide every inch of scripture and none of it's making it here? And shaping how you live every single day in a practical way. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Get in the word of God. Get it in you. If you need help, you young people, go to somebody. Go to your pastor. Go to somebody and say, all right, I've got to do better. I don't want to just read the Bible just to be reading it. Oh, that's a good thing. I'd like to actually get something out of it that's going to help my soul. It's going to change me. What should I read? Where should I focus? These are my problems. What would help me with these problems? 
Read those passages. Seek to understand them. Memorize the verses. Meditate upon them. Think about them. Get them in your heart. I, if that won't help you, I got nothing. Right? I, I don't have anything for you. I, all I can do is say roll tide. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's not doing a whole lot of anybody any good right now. Let's pray together. My friends, this world around us is crazy. And following God through it is not always easy.